0: Welcome. You're here for part two of our series called joy to the world. It is that time of year. It's Christmas time. You go. What's that? Was that a woohoo for Christmas time? Oh, that's cool. That threw me off a little bit. Time out. Woo. Um, that's what, that's what joy to the world does to you though. It makes you into a woohoo girl. Um, so anyway, it's, it's that time of year It's Christmas and, and you can feel it. I was in the mall this week. Has anybody been doing their shopping yet? You just feel it, you smell it, you see it everywhere. It is that time of year, and it's that time of year where we celebrate the birth of Christ, we celebrate family, we get together, we exchange gifts, there's so much. How many do the eggnog? You do the eggnog? Okay, this is if you're real right here. This is real talk. How many do fruitcake? not real yet. You're not real yet. It was like a tradition in my house is that every Christmas Eve at grandma's house, there was eggnog and that... It's like a brick of mushed chemical things. I don't know what it is, but I felt like I had to. I knew it wasn't good. It doesn't matter. You eat it anyway. And it is that time of year that you just celebrate Christmas, and we call it one of the greatest occasions of the year, the most joyous and wonderful times of the year. But again, what I've discovered as I journey through life is that many times... Many times the season of Christmas is a facade to cover up maybe the pain or the suffering or the trial or the the, the trudging through life that we're actually experiencing. And so what we do is, is we take the the joy of Christmas and we try to cover up what's really going on on the inside of us. But we know that when this season passes, I'll actually return back to my life and maybe I'll return maybe back to something that's not so joyous. And so what I want to do is take this time of year to take what, what may be sometimes the facade of Christmas and make it real to make what may seem like man if i just sing enough christmas songs and if i drink enough loaded eggnog i'll just get through this right No. what if after this season you say no no i i got deeper this year something was changed within me i found something so powerful that it lasted beyond just the now it's two months really used to be the month of december nah it's bled into november now they stole thanksgiving from us But it'll last. Because what we learned last week, and you need to go watch the message because it's so profound. The Apostle Paul writes a book to a group of people. They live in the city of Philippi, so the book is called Philippians. And he writes them a book, and in the opening chapter, he's telling them his story. But he said, hey, no matter how much life is trying to hurt me or how difficult life might be, I found joy. Because... There's something about the temporary happiness that we experience and temporary happiness is based on our circumstances, but lasting joy, something deeper is not a byproduct of our circumstances. It's actually a byproduct of our perspective because the apostle Paul shows you that he looked at something that we would have all said is a prison. And he was literally writing from a jail cell. And even though he was stuck in a prison, he decided he would change his perspective and see his prison as an opportunity. So he said, hey, I got jailers that take care of me, but they can't go anywhere. So I get to preach the gospel to them. Like I'm just, I'll just make the best of my prison. I'll find God in my prison. I'll find God in my suffering and I'll just change my perspective. He actually saw his suffering and said, you know what? What's crazy is I'm suffering, but the kingdom is inspired by it. So my pain is their, is their inspiration. I mean, it's just crazy. And then he, he went on just to think, even my death, talk about perspective, Even my death is victory. You know what the worst thing they can do to me? The worst thing they can do to me is put me directly into the presence of God. I'll make it. I'll be okay. So he's literally like, hey, look, if I live, I'll keep preaching the gospel. If I die, I'll go be with Jesus. It's all good. And he wrote it from a prison cell. It makes no sense, but it just teaches you that in life that there's something different than always looking at what happens to us or looking at our circumstances and living our life on that roller coaster. Versus the Apostle Paul saying, no, you can find lasting joy. You can find joy in a prison if you need to, if you have the right divine perspective. But today, everybody say today. Today we'll go somewhere new because in chapter 2, which by the way, when Paul wrote the Bible, he didn't write chapter and verse. Just one continuous letter, just like you would write to someone. But we went in and put in chapter and verses to help us find stuff. But they did a pretty good job because you can see by the time we get to what we call chapter 2, he does shift and slide and change what he wants to talk about. And he starts talking about your relationships with other people. And what he goes to show you is, and this is so true because we find this at the psychological level, we find this at the scientific level, that your joy, your lasting joy, the way that you experience life is so directly connected to your relationships. Or if you're taking notes, the quality of your relationships is directly connected to the joy that you experience. It's just true. And we, you, you already know this to be true because you know the opposite is absolutely true. You know that some of your most restless nights were because of what was going on between you and someone you loved. Some of your most sleepless nights, some of your most stressful, some of y'all have my hair cut because the stress that went on, oh, that's not funny. That's, but I, but I do, I remember I get stressed out and all of a sudden my hair's thinning. Ah, Anyway, I just gave up you're not leaving me i'm leaving you so so here's here's what happens though our relationships can create incre- when you start when, when something's struggling in your marriage when something was going on with your children, or something's up with your parents, or you got a sibling, or even your your dear friends, or something's going on with a close—I mean, it just it can wrench your gut, and it creates so much stress and so much turmoil. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, "Hey, I want to give you some incredible wisdom on how to operate in your relationships, because there is incredible joy in your relationships." But there's a right way to do it. And there's a wrong way to do it. And that's what we're going to read today. So if you're if you're following along the screens, here's what he says. He goes, therefore, if you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then complete my joy. Everybody say joy. Complete my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and being one in mind now what he says is so interesting i think this is a little dispute going on i'm speculating because you gotta remember he's writing to a specific group of people i think they had a little bit of like like i think the church is good i think the church is healthy but there's probably like a little pocket of people that are not getting along he's like hey i want to like drop something in on y'all because y'all are a great church and i don't want any type of relational funk to divide your church to divide the greatness of what god's doing in you so i want to like encourage you and it sounds desperate doesn't he This is what it sounds like when I read it. If there's any encouragement, if there's any affection, if there's, he's like pleading with you. Be what? Be of one spirit. Be like-minded. Be in unity together. It, It sounds like Jesus from John 17. Spends a whole prayer, an entire chapter, Jesus spends praying, and he's praying one thing, God make them one, God make them unified. God make them one, God make them unified. There's something about you being in harmonious relationships that actually makes the church the most powerful thing in the world. Notice how divided we get. Like the enemy's attack is to divide us. We're so oddly divided about so many different little things. But yet Jesus' prayer was God make them one. God make them unified. Paul's doing the same thing. Like be in harmony. Let there be like a peace. And there be a harmony inside of your relationships. And he goes on to tell you how. He goes this. He goes, do nothing. Everybody say Nothing. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. This is a weird word here because Paul occasionally makes up words. I'm just going to tell you all that. Like we have English words and what we do is we take Greek and we're like, I think he's saying this. But he just makes up words. He does that twice in this chapter. Now this word is a word that you can only find one other time in history. And Aristotle used it to talk about political gain. Aristotle said, this is the idea between two political opponents And one is saying, I'm going to beat the other no matter what. I don't care if I have to be dirty. I'm going to win at all costs. That's the word that Aristotle used. This is the word Paul used when he talks about do nothing out of selfish ambition. Meaning never live a life where you live a life with a win-lose scenario. Meaning like never live a life where it says, you know what, I'm going to step on you so I can get mine. I'm going to put you down so that I can elevate. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I don't care if you suffer or not. I am going to elevate me he goes, never live a life. Never live a life in the realm of win lose. Always live a life in the realm of elevating other people. As a matter of fact, this would be the idea that, that when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he says these words. He said, I must decrease so that he may increase. This is the opposite. When he uses the word selfish ambition, he goes, you're living a life, you're living the anti-John the Baptist spirit. You live a life that says, you must decrease so that I might increase. He goes, never, never live a life where you're trying to step on other people to elevate your own life. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit or vainglory, depending on what translation of the Bible you have. This idea of pride, this idea of life is all about me. And it's all about me getting mine. He goes, "Don't do that. Don't." There's repercussions to that. You live a life like that, and you live a life with carnage around you. You'll live a life of such selfishness that what happens is, is that you burn down the bridges on all your relationships, and you keep cycling people. As a matter of fact, if you're dating out there, that's one of the best things you can ever do. Is if you're dating somebody, look at their friendships, look at how they treat other people. Ladies, listen to me. Look at how he treats mama. Look at how he treats his friendships. Guys, listen. If she's constantly cycling through friends, that's an indicator. She crazy, okay? I, Jesus loves her. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you should, you know, be in a relationship with. It's just an indicator. It's just an indicator of a person that lives with vainglory where they elevate and they dominate to elevate versus saying, no, no, I, I elevate other people because that's what makes life rich. He goes, never live a life. So, dude, everybody say Nothing. So you would, in any of your your personal decisions, you would say, "No, no, I I would never do that because if that would put them down to elevate me, I don't I don't want to live that way. That eventually will rob me of my own joy. So rather, I say rather, because he just rather just means the opposite's coming, right? So rather do the opposite. Rather in humility, value other people above yourself. You know what makes great relationships? You'll you'll know this if you've ever had a great friend. Is they care about your deal. They're they're interested in you. If you ever have a conversation, I had this, uh, I was talking about an old friend of mine and and I was like, God, you know, the last time I hung out with them, it was so weird. They live in a different state. But I was like, I literally sat with them for an hour and they never asked me once anything about me. They didn't want to know how my family was. They didn't know how my kids were. They didn't want to know how the church was, nothing. They talked about themselves for an hour straight. Were never once, and that's okay. Look, I love you. I'd call that guy today. I'd probably do anything for him today, but I just, I'm like, okay. That's not the way I want to live life. I don't want to live a life where I'm always about self-promotion. I want to live a life where I say, you know what? Your deal is even more important than my deal. You know what happens when you live in a community of people that say your deal is more important than my deal? It elevates everybody. Because now all of a sudden the tide is rising. And a rising tide lifts all boats. So that's how, that's how you live life. That's how you elevate in relationships. That's how you thrive in relationships. You're like, hey, what's your deal? How are you doing? What's going on with you? And if you live in a world where everybody's doing that, everybody elevates. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So you value others above yourself. Again, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interest of others. Here's, here's my point. I'll, I'll move on because I I promise I could talk about this for a while. I love this chapter of the Bible. Here, here's what I'll, I'll say: is just be aware of the joy killers. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, this just be aware. I want you to elevate. I want you to. I want you to succeed in life. I want you to have incredible joy because of your relationships. So avoid the joy killers. Here's what you avoid: avoid living for the elevation of self. Avoid living to impress. Right? Like I'm always trying to like impress. I'm always trying to be the man. I'm always trying to get the attention. I'm always trying to. I'm living for the applause. I want everybody's eyes on me. Living to win at all costs. Just, just know. That if you do that, you will literally climb a ladder trying to achieve something. And then when you get to that top of the ladder, you realize, dang, I was leaning against the wrong building because now I'm all alone. Now there's just mess. And con- so he's like thrive in your relationships and avoid the joy killers. Now, now he's getting deep. Are you ready? So this is where he goes next. He goes and says this in verse five. He says in your relationships with one another, right? So this is where it just gets plain. This is where me as a preacher, this just gets easy. All I have to do is read this because he is going to spell it out in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what does that even mean? perfect I'm about to explain right that's what he does to you who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing everybody say nothing that make that nothing word rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross That's beautiful. There's four little things I want to point out that are just, I'm going to let the text breathe. This is what it says. This is what he says. That when you think about how to thrive in your relationships, when you think about how to get along with other people and have great relationships, this is how it's done. Just think like Jesus. And then he explains what that looks like. Here, here's what this means to thrive in your relationship. Jesus models for us these secrets. There's four of them. And the first one is, is to self-empty. Now, that's a weird thing. I know today I'm gonna throw out some words that are a little bit odd. If we were writing, you know, a cute magazine article and we said, hey, how to do good in your relationships, we wouldn't say self-empty. That even sounds weird. Some of y'all are snickering. I get it. Self-empty. This is what it says, though. It says that Jesus made himself nothing. Isn't that what it said? It said, He was in the very nature of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Here's what they were saying. They were saying, you have to recognize that Jesus is and was and always will be God. Okay, so Jesus is God before the foundations of the world. And what Jesus did was that Jesus basically said, you know what? I got to get down there for them. I'm coming to them. That's what Christianity is. All the major religions of the world have a basic way of living in a creed of thought that says this. If I do these things, I'll get to God. Christianity doesn't do that at all. It it appears that way at times. It's the opposite. Christianity is what's called good news. And the great, good, amazing news is simply this. Religion is you trying to get to God. Christianity was God trying to get to you. You can't get to God. God can get to you. And it does that. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas time, is what we call the incarnation, right? It just means God becoming flesh, God coming to earth. And for Jesus to pull this off, you have to think about something. You gotta think, you know what? If I'm God, I've got like omnipotence, meaning like I'm not just strong, I'm all powerful. All right, I'm gonna have to get in that body. I gotta lay that down. You know what I have? I have omniscience. I have uh, I have the ability just to know all things and uh, I, gotta, I, gotta put, put, I, I have the, I have omnipresence. I have the ability to be at all places at all times and be confined by nothing. I'm stuck in a body now. I'm going to lay that down. And Jesus literally has to strip himself of all these divine attributes so that he can come in the form of, and what Paul says is he uses a Greek word called kenosis. Everybody say kenosis. It just means he's self-emptied. He's like, oh, I got to give up. I have to lay down everything that I am, so that I can go do what I have to do. I have to go and lay down my life, so I can thrive in my relationship with humanity. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Hebrew thought was uh, sumsum or simsum. It was the idea. This was like back in, in in the ancient rabbinical teaching. It wouldn't have been in the Bible, but they were had this commentary as they reflected on Genesis and the nature of God and creation. And what they said was, is they said, "Well, have you ever thought and considered that God?" Created all things So before all things existed What was there? God So literally God is all that is And so what God had to do was In essence pull himself back To make room for anything else to exist This is how you thrive in relationships You you pull back To make room for other people to thrive You self empty And say no no I'm going to live a life that elevates other people I'm going to live a life that pulls other people up not puts anybody down. As a matter of fact, let's think of it like this. There's this funny story about the IRA. The, it was a, in, in Ireland, there was a group of people who were terrorizing, and it was a mess. It was a political mess. But, but the IRA was known for planting bombs in buildings. And what they would do is they'd go plant a bomb in a school or a mall or a public place, and then they would go make a phone call. And in the phone call, they would say, you've got five minutes to get out. You got five minutes to get out. And they were doing this. This was kind of a regular thing. And so somebody had created a story. And the story was, is that one day an IRA member died and went to heaven. And as he's standing outside of the pearly gates, St. Peter comes walking out. This is the funny story of St. Peter at the pearly gate. It's not real. It's just fun though. So you're like, that's theologically deep. No, this is a joke. (laughs) But the point is profound so this ira member is standing at the pearly gates and saint peter comes to the door with a big giant book in his hand and he goes sir i'm looking through this book and you're not in here i mean you're an ira member you're you're not getting in he said i think you have this situation misunderstood i'm not here trying to get in you've got five minutes to get out As funny as it is, it reflects something incredibly divine because it reflects who God actually is. We are normally preaching a gospel where it's like, hey, pray this prayer so that one day you can get to heaven. The the gospel message is this, is God was getting out of heaven for you, that God comes to earth for you. God's like, no, the goal of Christianity is to get out of heaven. Not get to Think about this. Jesus never says, pray a prayer so one day you'll go to heaven. He actually says, pray a prayer so that you bring heaven to earth right here, right now. That's what the kingdom looks like. So it's not about getting into heaven. It's about bringing the heaven to earth right here. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, think about this. At the end of all things, God recreates the earth. And it says that the new heavens and the new Jerusalem come down. So God's trying to get heaven here you got to get out of heaven, and that's what Jesus modeled. you got to get out of heaven and get to earth. So he he empties himself. He has a kenosis. He strips himself of all of his divinity for me and you. That's good news. That's gospel. That's a God who's in pursuit. That's a God who does for me what I cannot do for myself. That's why it's good news. So in your relationships, you do the same thing. How do you thrive in your relationships? I self-empty. I restrict, I pull, I pull back and leave a space for other people to elevate versus have, cause think about it. Jesus could have just flexed all over the place. He goes, no, no, no. This isn't an opportunity for me to flex. It's an opportunity for me to retract so that you can succeed. Next thing he says is this. It says he, he self-emptied. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I'll be quick here. There is something incredibly powerful to serving others it is unquantifiable when you because because this is what we've known in psychological studies is that when you serve another person you endear yourself to that person when you serve another person you experience more more joy than the person being served that's why jesus said it's better to give or more blessed to give than to receive have you ever noticed that When you keep getting gifts, it gets old. When you keep blessing other people and you see their lives change or the look on their face or their eyes light up, more joy is actually created in you. They learned this because what they decided was is that, okay, how do we help a person who's new to a community make great friendships? And what they learned in studying was is that the greatest way if you ever move to a new place is just go find a group of people and serve them. And they'll feel obligated to just include you in the group. Isn't that crazy? They're like, no, watch. It just they're gonna be like, wow, this person just keeps buying this or doing this or giving this or making cookies or you know what whatever it is. And all of a sudden it's like this is by the way, this is how Pastor Delano got into ministry. It just kept showing up. <laughs> hey, Pastor, I'm here. I didn't ask you to come here, but you're here. Okay. I was like, Okay, I mean, you just kept serving and serving and serving. And so that's how you you elevate other people around you. But then you enrich the lives of all the people in the group. And you find personal joy. They find this with kids. This is the thing about kids. Have you ever wondered why you love your kids more than your kids love you? I know, it's weird, but it's true. You know why? Whoever is the one serving is the one that actually feels the greater relational bond. Moms, you know that. In their infancy, what are you doing? You're giving and yet you're bonding. But but see, again, what do most kids do their whole life? They just receive, 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 receive. And then all of a sudden when they hit life and all of a sudden they start giving or they have their own kids, it clicks. You're like, oh, I get it now. My life elevates when I elevate others. More joy is experienced when I give than when I receive. When I serve than when I sit around waiting for other people to serve me. Everybody said, that's good. It's we're 23 minutes in if you need to take medicine or something like that, but this is good Um, number four is this ever say relate It says that it says that he came and he emptied himself so that he could come and that he came very specifically It says he came and being found in the appearance As a man, you know what jesus did He goes you relate Because you can't get god. I just need you to know that If you ever think that you figured out god You're lost God is so greater and other and bigger and more dynamic than you can ever begin to contemplate. And so what God has to do is actually relate to you because you have no way of relating to God. You ever thought about that? You can't get your head wrapped around God. So what does God do? God actually dumbs himself down or brings him down or simplifies himself into the person of Jesus so that you can actually even get a glimpse of what divinity might look like. It is as if you were walking with a three-year-old child. And if you're a tall person and you walk with a three-year-old child, you know what you have to do? You have to slow down. And so you know what God does? God's like, mm, I'm going to slow down so that they can walk with me. And so he relates. He comes down. Remember, the incarnation is him coming in the person of a, of a human, of a baby. He even starts out as a baby. He literally condescends or restricts. He self-empties so that he can go and relate to you. There's this interesting Eastern parable. It is about a woman. And a young woman has a baby. The problem was, is after a few weeks of having the baby, the baby dies. And she is completely crippled by the experience. So in her devastation, in her depression, in her grief, she's like, no. So she literally goes to everyone she can find. She wraps the baby up, holds the baby to herself. She takes the baby to a priest, to a faith healer, to a, to a, she went to a witch doctor. I mean, she literally went everywhere and she ran across a man who eventually said, There is a story of a man who lives in the mountains who apparently has the ability that he is such a holy man and so close to the divine that he might be able to help you. I think you should go searching for him. So she packs up her provisions and she heads off into the mountains. And after a few days, she finds a hut next to a crystal clear lake, little tiny hut in the middle of nowhere. And she goes and knocks on the door and she knocks on the door. A couple of seconds later, somebody, a little old man answers the door. She pleads with him. She tells him the story. This is my baby, and I have to have her back. I'm desperate to have her back. I was told that you could help me. He said, I can help you. But here's what I need I'll concoct a potion, but I need some special ingredients. And here's what I need I need a handful of mustard seeds. So I need you to go down into the village because I need you to find a handful of mustard seeds from a home that has never tasted the pain of suffering so she goes down to the village and she knocks on every door hey i need i need and you know what she finds no one she finds no one who has ever lived a life that was void from the pain of suffering but what she did was is they told their stories of their pain and suffering and when they asked her about hers she related and story after story after story helped her to come to terms with the idea of, my baby is lost, but I am not alone. She found in community and fellowship the ability to relate with other people. So the man, in his wisdom, did not give her the answer that she was looking for, but he did give her the hope that she needed. Now, the idea behind the parable is that you find power in the, in the, in the community and when you journey together through life and you journey through life, carrying your sufferings together, there's power there. And that's true. Here's the gospel is that Jesus condescends, Jesus empties, Jesus comes so that he might relate. You have never experienced a pain and suffering that Jesus himself has not carried. Jesus journeys with you, with your suffering and he relates. Okay. What does that, what does that mean? For you in your relationships, you don't start with, well, this is who I am. You need to adjust to me. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus did. You're unholy. Jesus had to adjust to you. Why do you think they accused him of being a glutton and a wine bibber? Because he had to adjust to you and your craziness. So he's like, no, I'm going to go hang out with prostitutes, tax collectors, and I'll go to dinner parties. I got to get to them. That's gospel. It's God getting to you, God relating to you, God connecting with you, God walking with you. It's It's powerful and it's how you treat other people. Last one and I'll try to close. Uh you humble. You humble. And maybe that's the summary statement for a lot of what we're saying here. Is that in your relationships you humble. That life, you don't make life all about you. You don't elevate self. You don't constantly have this insecure need to always be the center of attention. You humble. And, and it's not and, and humility is not this. Humility is not putting yourself down. No, you're of infinite value to your heavenly father. Humbling yourself isn't about putting yourself down. Sometimes we do that and it's fun. Sometimes we do that and it's a joke. We'll kind of joke and make fun of ourselves and put ourselves down. That's fine. But true humility is not putting yourself down. As a matter of fact, sometimes that's the, actually the reflection of your own insecurity, which is actually trying to get the attention still back on you. Humility is thinking of your own infinite worth and still taking other people's. Elevating them above you. Taking other elevate I'm of an infinite worth to my heavenly father. I don't know why. I'm not sure that it's true, but he valued me that way, and I'll just elevate you. Thinking of others above myself. There's this great story of um it's actually a story of Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. Washington as famous as he was and as brilliant as he was, and he had just become the, the president of the Tuskegee Institute and brilliant person, black man, living in a different time in a different age. And he was a person of incredible influence, and he was walking through a very affluent neighborhood. And there was a woman there who didn't recognize him, but just saw a black man and was stopped. He was kind, but said, excuse me, young man, would you please maybe be open if you have any time? I need some wood chopped. Would you come and chop some wood for me? And Booker T. Washington just thought for a moment. He said, yeah, I'll come chop your wood. He literally thought to himself, I don't have anything going on. I've got nothing pressing. I'll go chop the wood. So he does. He rolls up his sleeves and goes and chops wood for a little old lady. And lady, there's a girl hanging out there. And she looks and sees Booker T. Washington chopping wood. She doesn't say anything. But after he's gone, she goes to the woman and she's like, do you know who that is? She goes, no, I just thought it was a man who might need a job. She goes, that's Booker T. Washington. She's floored. She's embarrassed. She's flushed red. I mean, just, oh my gosh, embarrassed, but so blown away by his humility. That she literally gathers the wealthiest people that she knows and tells them the story and said, we need to donate everything we can to that man. That's a man you can follow. He had no ego about him. He had. No, I'm telling you what, the gospel is the answer to racism if you don't know that. The gospel is the answer. It's the solution to racism. Because if I lived with the mind of Christ, I could never look at another human being, and because of the color of their skin, or the country they were born in, or what their nationality was, or what their—I could—I'd have to—I'd have to restrict and say, no, your deal is bigger than my deal, your interests are more important than my interest, your value is of infinite worth. If you lived with the mindset of Christ, racism couldn't exist. If I humbled. I'd have, if I self-emptied of my pride and my ego, sexism couldn't exist. Not in the kingdom. It can't. And if it exists where you're at, that's not the kingdom. It can't exist in a world where I take the mind of Christ and I empty myself and I humble and I relate and I, it can't exist. I'm just telling you there's something powerful. So here's what I want you to do. Um, you have, a cool opportunity on Christmas Eve, if you're here, and if not, you can still do it. One of the ways that I want you to express your ability to serve others, to give to others, to elevate others is through what we call NB cares, which is our benevolence. So we take people who are in need, suffering, hurting, whatever it is. And we just say, Hey, if we can, let's help them. Maybe that's buying them groceries. Maybe that's keeping the lights on for them. Maybe that's them helping them find a place or doing whatever. We just, again, whenever we can. And that's what does that. And so what I want you to be doing over the next two weeks is praying. How can I serve somebody else? How can I bless somebody else? How can I elevate some? Because again, we're talking about people who would be in desperate need and saying, you know what? I've got more than I need. I'm, 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 I'm doing good. Let me elevate your situation even above my own for this moment. And so I want you to be praying about how you can give, what you could do to contribute. So you're you're always a generous church. You're always giving. We're always giving to help the kingdom advance. But in this moment, it's special. This is something we do once a year and only once a year. And that literally, the, the, you guys are so generous, that actually helps us take care of people's needs throughout the next 12 months. So I just want you to pray. I just want you to consider, God, what can I do to help with NB Cares, Christmas Eve service? If you can't be on Christmas Eve, you still go online and give. There'll be a special place in our offering thing that you can do that online. And so anyway, I just want you to consider that. But here's, here's the end result of everything that we talk about. There's this funny thing that we teach kids. I don't know if you know this, but like your kids are in classrooms and there's incredible servants that are in there. I mean, there's a dream team of people that are serving and blessing your kids. I'd like you to consider being a part of that team of people, but there's a bunch of people teaching your kids right now. And one of the things that we teach kids is the simplicity of how to discover joy. And we have to make it so simple that even a three and a four and a five and a six-year-old can understand it. And let me help you understand it. Everybody say joy. You know how you find joy is that in your relationships, you focus on Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Then you focus on others. Everybody say others. And then you focus on you. Jesus, others, you, J-O-Y. You don't know, experience great joy in life. It's not that complicated to figure out. It's just hard to pull off. And you have to humble, and you have to self-empty, and you have to you have to slow down sometimes. But I'm telling you, that is the gospel. That is what Christ has done for us. And now we want to adopt that same mentality. And if we do, you and I will also thrive in our relationships. Let's pray. Hey, is there anybody in your life, as the Holy Spirit leads you, is there anybody in your life that you say, you know what, I need to reach out to them. I haven't talked to them in a while. You know what, I know what they're going through. I, I'm going to go and encourage them. You know what, I think there's a little bit of like a funky thing between us right now and I just don't want there to be any, any type of strife between us. I, I'm gonna go and just apologize. Even if even I think just 1% of it was, was on me, I'm gonna go apologize. I'm just gonna go and say, hey, I just, I just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm for you. If you need anything, I'm here for you. And don't don't worry about it. It's all good. Hey, is there an area that, that, or a person maybe where you think, man, I could really help elevate that person? Is there something maybe in you that you discovered this morning where you were like, man, when he was talking about that, I felt like he was talking to me. And I felt like a little bit of a punch in the gut. And I'm like, I think that's me. I think I need to self empty. I think there's a pride. I think there's an ego. I think there's an insecurity. God, would you help us today? Holy Spirit, guide us as we walk out of this place, God. Help us to have the same mindset that you had. And in doing so, bring heaven to earth. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe that, give me a good gospel. Amen. Amen. Yeah, can you give the Lord a big hand clap today? Come on, you can go bigger than that. When God does for me, when I can't do for myself, you can't help it. It's just.